Welcome to another episode of the Principal Liner Notes podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood uh, principal and, and bandmate, Sean Gaylord. And I am going to apologize and provide a disclaimer right off the bat because I am fanboying uh, big time here with our our very special guest. Um, you, if, if you followed me on, on social media, you have seen me. Uh, carting uh, around a a well thumbed, uh, sticky noted, highlighted uh, copy of of just a, a wonderful book, a book that um, really gets to the heart of of our gig as as educators and as as teachers. And I'm very honored to have the author of the teachers on me. Principal Liner Notes podcast, Alexandra Robbins. You you may know her from other other works and and and, and other other books, uh, but she is the author of the Teachers: A Year Inside America's Most Vulnerable, Important Profession. She is a five time uh, New York Times bestselling uh, author. She's an award winning investigative reporter, distinguished service award winner to public education. She's written for the New York Times, the New Yorker. The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The Atlantic. She has appeared on Oprah, 60 Minutes, The Colbert Report. And now she's on the Principal Liner Notes podcast. But but also we need to add, Alex, to, to your uh, your canon of work, long-term substitute teacher, right? <laughs> I mean, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, but thank you so much for being on. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Principal Liner Notes podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. A couple of things about about the book. Well, a million things about the book. Um, the thing that that really struck me in in the beginning was the prologue, and and being a a high school English teacher by trade, I I, I felt that the prologue was very reminiscent uh, or echoed the, the the prologue to Dos Passos's USA trilogy and just how you and he both just just these beautiful snapshots of of the gig of teaching but the first sentence right off right off the bat you think you know what's inside but you don't what an opening my friend <laughs> thank you they say that the first line in the book is the most important so i thought about that one pretty hard <laughs> what 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 led you to to kind of starting off that way in the book? Well, you know, I wrote the book because I wanted the public to understand what it's really like to be a teacher. I wrote that line because I think too many members of the public already think they know what it's like mm -hmm. to be a teacher. You know, and we can get into this later, but you have the politicization going on right now with parents thinking they know what's best for schools and books and so forth in, inside the classroom. Uh, I think a lot of parents and politicians think they know what it's like to be a teacher simply because they attended school yeah. as a student. And I think that's a problem. And even as a, as a substitute, you know, I short-term subs, uh, before I was a long-term teacher, before I started doing this book, and even I never felt like I really understood what it was like to be a teacher until, um, 
first long-term subbing, but then also doing the hundreds of interviews for this book and just hearing voice after voice after voice of educators telling me what it's really like and what's really going on. And I still wouldn't presume I know 100% what it's like to be a teacher because even as a long-term sub, it wasn't quite the same, but mm -hmm. I have a good sense now. And I think that, and I hope that people who read the book who are not educators will have a good sense too. Well, you know, speaking as as an educator and, and as, as a principal and, and as a teacher, you know, I, I often found as, as I was reading the book, like, man, I wish I had this book 30 years ago. I, I remember, you know, my first year as a, as, as a teacher in, in Washington, DC, um, I, I would say to myself, man, S Sydney Poitier didn't, didn't have this and to serve with love. <laughs> That, that that didn't happen to him and 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 so often the, the the media you know films and 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 other books you know there there's there, there's just kind of like this kind of caricature of, of 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 teachers and and so i i found that you you know by by kind of diving into the lives of of rebecca penny and miguel uh, and then you know using their narrative as as the as the entry point to to you bringing this kind of large larger portrait of what it means to be a teacher i just i just felt was was just so well well done so did i mean were you were you kind of like embedded in the classroom how how did how did that work i mean the part the principal mind of me is kind of thinking about the logistics and the clearances and and those things and i know that you changed a lot of names and combined things to to really um protect uh privacy um and and the psychological safety of those that, that that you covered but but how did how did that work yeah so usually in my other books there is a sense of embedding you know i am there on the ground um however in this case with miguel penny and rebecca whom i followed uh, for a year uh i couldn't be there with them because schools have all these um, relatively new ID policies for visitors and mm -hmm. I couldn't have their colleagues or administrators or districts or parents <laughs> know that they were being shadowed. You know, Penny, Miguel and Rebecca, they really shared everything about their professional lives, their personal lives, yeah. warts and all, some very, very private things um, that they some didn't even share with their closest friends. So um, to protect them, no, I did not go into their schools, not for this book, um, but we were in touch almost every day by phone, by text, by email, by Zoom, by whatever, um, just so it was you know day to day, I knew what was going on in their lives. As, as you were writing the book and 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 covering you know all of the the pieces of the narrative that were in the book did did things shift for you did did plans change did what was was there kind of a sudden right turn uh i would say when i go into a book like this um i when i delve into a subculture i want the people who are in that subculture to dictate the book to me in terms of I'm not going to go in there with preconceived notions and try and get something to fit a framework. I want the people who are members of the subculture to tell me what that framework is with their stories, with their anecdotes, with their opinions. Um, and so there wasn't a right turn except 
So Penny is a middle school math teacher, uh, sixth grade math. Miguel is a sixth, seventh, eighth grade special education teacher. Hmm. And Rebecca is a fourth grade teacher. So you can tell what's missing there. I had always planned to follow a high school teacher. Yeah. Um, however, at the beginning of the 2021-2022 uh, school year, as you sort of began to allude to before, um, just a couple days before the August open house, a school where I had short-term subbed had a new class allotted for third grade, and they couldn't find a teacher. Um, that was at the time when I think the, I think it was the Delta wave. I can't always keep them straight, but um, mm -hmm. five to eleven-year-olds weren't able to be vaccinated yet. There was a new wave of COVID. It was back to school, and they couldn't find a teacher for the classroom. So they asked me to long-term sub the class until they could find someone. Well, they didn't end up finding someone until winter break. So I was a full-time third-grade teacher starting the day before August open house and going all the way through winter break. I was already, I'm sorry, until winter break, um, I was already following these three teachers and working on this book and I realized something had to go. And so, you know, I felt long and hard about it because I didn't want a criticism of the book to be, well, you didn't follow a high school teacher. Um, mm -hmm. So I decided what I would do is every chapter has an essay where I talk about something that came up in the narrative. And I, I while I interviewed all kinds of teachers from all kinds of schools, I tried to make sure that high school teachers were overly represented in those essays. So they felt that their experience was in there too, because ultimately I decided, okay, I, I either can follow a high school teacher or I can step in and help this school that needs a teacher um, for these third grade kids. And I decided to, um, to teach uh, rather than follow another teacher which ultimately ended up being better for me and I think for the book because it gave me an understanding that I didn't have before. You know, I was there doing parent-teacher conferences. I did the active shooter lockdown drill, just me and the kids in the classroom with the locked door. You know, I, I did a lot of the things that teachers were telling me about in our interviews. Wow, that's heavy. I mean, you, you, def you definitely walked the talk in in this book which again I, I as an educator I mean all of all of the things that that you mentioned even even all of the code words yeah. um, I, don't, I don't want to take away too much from that but there but there, that that section I, I I was I was laughing out loud and and then and then I thought about there are code words for code words too uh for for, for some you of have them one? you want to share one um oh my gosh um I'll throw, out, I'll throw out a couple while you're thinking so yeah I, I have a section in the book um about uh sort of teachers secrets that um that they feel they can share um to the public and i also have a separate section in the book about teachers secrets and advice for other teachers um but so one of the fun things is the secret code for instance um to put something in the z file to put in the z file means to chuck an assignment in the trash or I think everybody knows this one, frequent flyers. That's students yeah. who in health room or in administrator's offices. But the funny thing is when I asked teachers for secret codes, the vast majority of the codes were code words for happy hour, <laughs> like like ninth period or staff development or choir practice. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, PD, offsite PD uh, yes, is, is one. Is, I'm adding is that one. to the list. <laughs> yes, offsite, our, our PD is going to be off-site, you know, or, uh, you know, that, that, that's one, uh, you know, frequent flyer, of course, is, is, is classic. That, that's like the Beatles of, of, right. uh, 
Shakespeare of, of, of codes. Um, and then, and then oftentimes too, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, I find this in, in at least in my circles, a, a lot of film and, and TV references, um, that, that will make, you know, um, oh, wow. You know, that, that person or or that that parent is very you know real housewives um <laughs> probably not much of a code there i don't know but... how code that is that yeah, i was gonna that say that's that not much of a code there, there. okay so she throws tables <laughs> yes throws tables and and uh you know fake legs but um <laughs> but yeah that that was again just there the, just moments in that book where where i mean many moments that were just so spot on and i think and you you alluded to this earlier, you know, there's there was this time, you know, and I've always felt this like pre-pandemic, you know, the profession has always been under attack and, and it has always been misunderstood. And but but yet, you know, you 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 put that too in this this uh this context of you know, there is some nostalgia uh you know for for teachers and in some of these media portraits that you know I talked about like Sidney Poitier you know or um you know what's his face on uh, boy meets world I mean there's always like that that teacher right um and 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 when we hit the pandemic you know there was this moment where we were celebrated very briefly and, and then and then and you talk about this in the book and then maybe two weeks in like all of that went out the window and and the attacks became much more targeted against education and teachers. You know, now we 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 have you know folks who who do think they know better uh, or best. And you know the, the the timing of your book. And again, I I don't know. I mean, it just your your book came out at the at 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 the right time. Your 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 thoughts on on this attack on teachers right now in education. Yeah, it's gotten aggressive. Um, I, I think the teaching profession, you know, we talk about nostalgia, and I think the teaching profession started changing in the early 2000s, and we can get to that mm -hmm. um, later if you want to. In terms of the attacks, I would actually pin that on um, probably Glenn Youngkin's um, campaign for governor of Virginia, which he... He basically took the mindset of these fringes of parents who were upset about, you know, they said schools were closed. Okay, schools were not closed. Schools were open. They were just virtual, which is actually yeah. harder for teachers than in person, but okay. Um, they, the parents who were clamoring for schools to be in person, and then the parents who were clamoring for um, no mask rules uh, anymore. He basically took their rage um funneled it into his campaign, turned it into what he called parents' rights, and he won. Mm. When Republicans saw that happen, they realized, oh, okay, that's a winning strategy. So that's when I think they really started weaponizing the term CRT. CRT is not taught in K through 12 schools. It's but not. They use it to refer to, you know, basically teaching of any racism or oppression in history. Um, they galvanize parents by calling their measures um, parents' rights, although you know the rest of us know that they're only talking about a certain set of parents. They're not talking about all parents. Um, and they use that as a way to try to censor discussions and materials about uh, LGBTQ issues or racism or gender identities or racism in American history. Um, to remove those from the classroom and from the libraries. 
And they've really pounced on that as a central campaign issue and as a way to try and um, rile up their base. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a polarization of education um, through social media, through politicians, through these book bans. And it's it's distressing, but it's it's relatively recent. There, there have always been book bans, but yeah. I think what's going on now is unprecedented. Yeah, it it you know, I used to teach Fahrenheit 451, and I always thought of that book, you know, really as being a work of science fiction, dystopian fiction. And although, you know, there, there aren't, there's a different kind of flame that's burning, maybe not in the, in the physical sense, but, but very much in a, in a very hurtful um, targeted sense when it, when it comes to expression and, and thought and, and, and inclusion. Um, and, and, and speaking of inclusion, I, I was really, I mean, all of the stories I was really compelled by and, and I, you know, developed a relationship with, with the three teachers. Uh, I, I really, you know, almost saw them as, as friends, as, as I was reading, like, man, I wonder what's, what's going to happen with Rebecca now and, and what's Penny, you know, and, and, and all three of them uh, are going through some really just powerful personal issues and, and how they, they balance that. That's a thing that folks just do not understand. I think about right. the profession is we go in, you know, very much having to be um, that, that person of, of compassion and love and, and, and content expert for kids. Um, but the gig does not stop. It's, it is hard for us to, to turn the gig off at when the when the bell rings it, you, you you can't it's it's impossible um in you know so and, and and i felt that really especially with miguel like i i was i, I almost had got got was holding my breath each time as as he was battling you know some of his some of the political issues he was battling and and then being a, a special ed teacher i mean i i, I at very very various points i wanted to just hug all three of them but i really yeah <laughs> I mean, how, how, how did you, you know, I mean, were there certain parts in the book? I know there's a certain journalistic distance that that you do have to keep and objectivity, but that that must have been challenging just seeing and hearing and, and experiencing as well what what folks were going through. How, how did you balance that as as a writer and, and someone that w was not necessarily on on the edge? I mean, you. I mean, you're embedded, but but yeah. then you weren't embedded. Yeah, how, how do yeah, you, how that's do you a, deal that's with that? That's a great question, and I and I've dealt with that with so many of the um, air quoting main characters in my books because we become friends. Um, they're yeah. never just sources to me. If I'm following you for a year, we're in touch all the time. I know things about you. You know things about me. We're buddies, and it's always been a challenge for me when I write books to be able to convey these real people's stories without um, jumping in and trying to save them whenever I can. Um, I think I think I've done it so many times. you know, I followed sorority girls and I was embedded with them. 
who, you know, some of them had eating disorders and some of them had mental health issues they needed help with. And like, so I would strike a balance by being a trusted adult with them, but not trying to interfere with their stories. Or there was, I did a book on um, following kids through the college admissions process. And mm -hmm. at one point, uh, one of the students I was following, a senior, uh, texted me and it was, a, I wouldn't say it was a straight out suicidal text, but it was concerning. And mm. so then, you know, okay, I called him right up and I stayed on the phone with him until his parents got home and everything turned out fine. But there's always a sense of, okay, I want to help as much as I can, but I can't insert myself into the story. Um, in the case of these teachers, they said what other characters have said to me before who, whom I've interviewed and, and followed like this, which is that our sessions felt like free therapy to them. Because they knew they could tell me anything. I'm always on their side and I would convey their point of view accurately and, and with my whole heart. And so I think that itself was helpful to them. You know, there are things as someone in the media, I wondered if I could help Miguel, but if I stepped into Miguel's story and helped him fight the school board, I then wouldn't be able to use him as the main character in my book because he would have been outed. And yeah. it was more important to him that his story get across because he really wanted the view of the special education teacher uh, to be publicized. And, and so people would understand uh, what it was like, what it's like to, to teach special ed. Yeah. And, and, any any EC or, or special ed teacher, if if anything, regardless of years of experience or wherever they are, that's that's like their biggest thing. Like you, you there, and even within teaching circles, I mean, there are camps and silos. And so I was I was really I, I was overjoyed to read his story because if, if that's probably the most misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, gig in in the teaching teaching profession when and, and folks just do not understand all of those nuances the paperwork the the uh, the emotion uh i mean you you you, you got it there and I, I i'm grateful for you sharing sharing the story i think and, and the students too i feel like i let me see i had subbed elementary school special ed before i'd started writing the book i had not subbed middle school special ed which is what miguel did i happened to sub middle school special ed um short term during the time i followed him and what i observed from these mildly to moderately disabled students i was able to ask him about uh, for example it hadn't I don't know why, but it hadn't occurred to me that these students would have the same kind of banter and rapport that that the general ed students had. I, I guess I guess like you say, you, you don't really think about it. Um, and because I observed that as a sub in their classroom, I was able to say to Miguel, "Hey, wh what do they talk about in your class? What do they banter about? What's the back and forth like?" Mm -hmm. And and when he would start telling me about that, I was able to then use those. Um, those snippets as dialogue in the book, which hopefully conveys to people like, oh, like why, I hope general ed parents read the stories and realize that the special ed kids are just like theirs. Yeah, that was, man, it's powerful. Another powerful point um, from a personal, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of personal standpoints for me in this, in reading this book. Um, 
but the story of Penny um, and and just her her journey and and again I don't want to do too many spoiler alerts here yeah there's a big one there <laughs> yeah but but um you know I I really appreciated um her journey again I don't want to spoil away too much but but having met uh the person who is now my wife and 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 she's also a teacher and we both started out as teachers together uh in separate schools but but we were in kind of the same district and in the same graduate uh program um I it, it, it I I just felt that that gave me some warm fuzzies. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe I spoiled a couple of things there, but maybe I didn't. I don't know. But <laughs> but but that was that was powerful. Let's let's go there for just a second on the dirty little secret in schools. Um, okay. As as a principal, um, there was a lot in this book that gave me pause. Yeah. And. You know, there were a few moments where uh, I was patting myself on the back, and then there were a few moments where, I mean, you, 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 I could almost hear like, "Hey, Principal Sean, um, take take a look, man." Uh, and 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 I I did some really deep reflection on that uh, in this section in 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 particular. Um, I'd love for you to just dive, dive with me on that a little bit on the dirty little secret in schools. Yeah, so Penny dealt with a pretty vicious uh, clique of school staff in her building. And the principal was not supportive Yeah. Um, in many ways. Uh, and I will say that both Miguel's and Rebecca's principals were wonderful and supportive. So um, this was an outlier. Yeah. Um, what happens in some schools, I studied this at length because I was wondering, okay, teachers, educators, any kind of educator are some of the most selfless, compassionate, nurturing people, warmest people, like they're people people, yeah. otherwise they wouldn't be in the profession. Yeah. Why, why is it that um, the Institute for Workplace Bullying gets more calls from teachers than from any other profession other than in healthcare? Um, what is it that causes some people to kind of regress when, in, I guess, emotional IQ when they get back into that school building? And what I realized uh, after a while was it's very similar to the nursing profession. And there is, um, there is a theory called oppressive group theory. And what that says is when an when a group is made to feel inferior and they don't have the power to change their situation rather than act out against their supervisors which they can't because they could lose their jobs or they could get retaliated against or if it's like if it's a cultural thing if it's a war thing then they could you know they don't want to incite violence um then they turn in frustration against one another because there aren't any consequences if they turn on one another. It's sort of like this like stress balloon that's finally popping and the only people around whom they can turn against are the people whom they are at work with every day. This happens with nurses. Um, and so I, I believe the same thing that happens with nurses happens with teachers. It's also a gender related. It happens in female dominated professions where um, women dominate the workforce and men dominate the supervisory roles. So in the case of teachers, I think it's uh, three quarters of teachers are women 
but 73% of superintendents are men. And it's always, always, always been the case since the beginning of teaching when women started becoming the teachers that um, they have not been treated as equals to administrators. They have been treated as sort of like cogs and um, you know, they're, the, the job is still beautiful that I don't, I mean, I don't mean to be a downer. This is yeah. just explain this, this one section as to what, what could make teachers turn against each other, like the teachers who turned against Penny. Um, so, and I think that what can change that is a uh, supportive, collaborative administration, which Penny did not have at that school. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of, of kind of the one thing that they do teach you. There's many things they teach you in principal school and, and school leadership programs, but it's, and it's really the same thing as, as, te- as a teacher, and, and, and you touch on this at, at the end in terms of the why, but it's relationships, 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 relationships yeah. matter. And, and part of what school leaders need to be in touch with is, is the culture and, and be in tune with that. And, 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 and building those relationships and that sense of empathy, uh, because man, Penny, it, it just, <laughs> there, there are a few moments in the book where, where, where she had, had that just kind of blatant, despicable, um, just treatment that, that I, I, I was cursing out loud at, at a few, at a few, few moments, uh, one, yeah. one moment in particular, um, but but then with you know just reading just in turn and then the, the research that you shared here and in, in and in the book um, again from a principal standpoint it just it led me to some really deep reflection um, about that and and ways that we can stop that from happening so for for principals and superintendents uh, or aspiring principals or superintendents that are tuning in I. I Turn to page 193 <laughs> uh, in, in the teachers and 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 highlight that and and per, perhaps um, uh, we 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 need we need to have a conversation <laughs> about that. But I, uh, you know, Alex, that was that was powerful. What what were moments um, of joy um, that you felt? And there are many moments of joy, even though this is a, a, a this is in, in many ways. Um, a very brutally honest book, which I welcome, but there were such joy-filled moments. I'd, I'd love for you to touch on the joy of the gig. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, the, the, the book was meant to both um, show the public what's really going on inside schools, but also to be something that shows how beautiful a profession teaching is that shows teachers you know educators are deeply appreciated they're not alone here's you know find some solidarity uh, and some strength in this book people will fight for you and i i asked teachers um, all over the country about their moments of joy and it was interesting because so many teachers kept saying the same things Um, they would mention their exhilaration when they see an aha moment that breakthrough with a child with varying abilities or disabilities, grasping grasping a new concept or connection, you know, getting a math concept, making a connection between two texts, or the science experiment works, or something new um, that they learned that they didn't have before, and just seeing you can see it in their eyes. That you know, yeah. I, when I was a long term sub, that was one of the joys that I felt. I was like, oh, this is what they mean by the aha moment, and you know, that moment I, that surprised me. Um, 
it, it kept me going for like weeks. Yeah. <laughs> even on tough days, even when I'm super tired, remembering yep. you know, that one child who um, you know, struggled with some things. It turned out he had some some learning disorders that we were we were working on with him. But he made this major text connection between social studies and uh, reading, and it just blew me away. And I was excited, and he was excited, and the class was like, "Whoa!" And it just kept me going for so long. Okay, so that's one. Nice. Um, another joy that teachers mentioned were seeing or hearing from former students, whether it's a heartfelt thank you note or yeah. a student comes to visit them or just reaches out in some way. Um, they mentioned that, and um, teachers also mentioned um, teaching a lesson that you know is effective and that the students are excited about, and in, it happens more often, I guess, when there are bells in, in high school and, and, and middle school where the bell rings and the class is like, oh, because they're not ready for that lesson to end. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that, those aha moments, I mean, those, I mean, as I'm, I mean, I'm smiling right now, just thinking. <laughs> Thinking, thinking of those things because it does it does remind us of our why yeah. as, as teachers and and it's hard when when teachers are pulling in 60 80 hours a week of of work and you know sometimes we don't always feel that ecstasy right that you know in the moment of of connecting with the child or or those teachable moments i often say that that teaching is is a lot like a marathon in which um the, the farther you run in that marathon the the more they pull away the finish line um yeah. and and the more um the 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 harder the, the the race becomes and and it's where we have to rely upon those moments such as you talked about the aha moment the the teachable moment or or the 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 connection of familiarity with with an old student um that that sees us or you know runs over to us in a, in a mall or restaurant you know and and that joy that we get um you know those are the things that that are worth fighting for um for for the gig um you talk a lot in the book about advocacy i mean this book is a vehicle for advocacy for the profession for for what i call the noble profession if not the noblest of of all professions, I agree. Uh, thank you. What, yeah. what where um where are some entry points for this advocacy? And and you talk a little bit about that in the book as as well. But I'd love for you to share some of those entry points for advocacy for for teachers. Yeah. So for teachers, the hard thing is districts seem to listen to uh, non educators more than they do the educators. You know, you go to a school board meeting, it's the parents who are vocalizing, and the parents are listening to the community members. Um, which is a shame, but um, here's where it gets dicey. More parents support educators than don't. In fact, the people who are the most vocal, the people who are, and surveys have shown this in the last year, the people more likely to say they are unhappy with their local schools are people who do not even have school-aged children. So that's true. That's driving a lot of the negativity. Um, there are more of us non-educator allies, so many more than the negative fringe we're hearing about in the media. However, the 
um, majority of people don't know that they have to step up and support teachers now is one of the points of the book. I want people to understand it's time. Like you have to speak up and speak out now to support teachers. So one avenue for teachers is to talk to parents to get them on board. Now that's hard because you don't want to reach out proactively to someone you don't really know. Teachers are afraid of speaking out, of doing anything by name um, that could get them targeted. They, you know, don't want to say the wrong thing to the wrong parent. And yeah. I'm, I am advising parents and community members specifically and separately that they need to proactively ask teachers how they feel about what the school board or superintendent is doing. And then these non-educators need to testify, email, or start petitions supporting the teacher's stance. So one thing I would recommend for teachers along those lines is there's probably a parent whom you trust, right? There's yeah. probably someone in your community who you can talk to, who you can say, look, we, we need help um, and this is what we need. Because people want to fight for you. People want to fight for teachers. They want to support you. They just don't know how and they don't know what it is that you need. But if you tell them, people will lobby for it. That's a good that is that is a that is a good point. And that that is also, you know, something that that does add to just a sense of optimism about the gig. You're I mean, you're absolutely right. There are, you know, when I've been out in the community or, you know, had the opportunity to talk to, um, you know, someone in our general assembly here or legislature here that there, there, there are folks out there in, in those positions that, that do want to help and do want to support. They just don't know how to. And, and I remember the kind of the last, um, legislature I talked to, he said, Hey, listen, just tell me what you want because we really don't know what you want. We know we want to do something, um, but but be specific. I think was yes. his advice. Be very very specific. Yeah, we know. Um, you know, not there's not enough respect or this that and the other. But but and it's hard. But he he, he advised be very very specific in in what you want, and and we will fight for it. Yeah. Um, it, it 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 goes it goes down a little bit easier, I guess. And it can be something as small as, oh my gosh, it is allergy season and our classroom is out of tissues and I'm going to have to go buy more tissues for our mm -hmm. classroom. You know, and the teachers already spend hundreds of dollars of their own money out of pocket on supplies this year. It could be as simple as, you know, going to your room parent, or if you don't have a room parent, going to your PTA, or let's say your school is not in a in a, in a community where there's an involved PTA, just going to some trusted adult um, who's a parent, or I say trusted adult as if they're kids, but you know what I mean, someone you trust um, who's not one of the air quotes parents rights people um, and say, hey, like, we need tissues or even yeah. just go to your local supermarket and say, look, we're in a bind here. Um, our classroom's out of tissues. I, I think most um, stores, if they hear that, um, would donate a box or two of tissues. Um, you don't even have to do it yourself if that, you know, teachers don't have enough time for anything, let alone going from store to store trying to pick up tissues. Um, you can post it on social media. Um, you can do one of the clear the list lists um, to say what, um, it, it, traditionally on Amazon, but other stores are starting to do it too, um, to say what supplies you need and just say, hey, if, you, if, you, if you're able to, 
um, our classroom really needs this sort of like donors choose, except it's on a smaller scale because it's for classroom supplies. You can post, people are not offended by those posts at all. I'm kind of addicted to them. If I see a teacher post a clear the list post, I think it's really fun to go shopping for the teacher and be like, oh yeah, I'm looking down the list, that, I'll, I'll get her that, or oh, that's a great book, I'll get her that. Or my favorite new thing is um, Band-Aid makes uh, diverse colored toned Band-Aids. Yes. Uh, so that the, the flesh tones can match students of various colors. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like picking those up for teachers. Um, but yeah, just don't don't be afraid to ask or to say you need help um, because hopefully there's someone in your network who will see that and he'll come he'll come to your aid. Alex, for you, who was that teacher, if you don't mind, Sharon? Who was your teacher? Um, or maybe there are multiple teachers, but but who was that teacher that that kind of had that impact on you. For me, it was my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. McMonagle, who changed my life. Uh, who was that teacher for you? I had a bunch. Um, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Cara Presso, um, she got me into Oreos and the team then known as the Washington Redskins, which are now the um, Commanders. Commanders. And I'm so happy to say they just changed their owners so I can be a fan again. Yes, um, right on. <laughs> happy day, happy day. Um, there was Miss Grandy in sixth grade who saw something I wrote, just, just sort of scribbled in a journal and said, that's really good. Can I submit it for the superintendent's writing award? And I was like, I just scrawled it in my journal. And she's like, I think you're a writer. And that hadn't mm. occurred to me before then. Um, there was Mr. Wesco, my seventh grade science teacher who made science so fun. We played baseball with a sheep heart once. <laughs> just the oh, things man. I remember. Um, my my uh, middle school PE teacher was also my middle school soccer coach. She was an influence. My 10th and 12th grade English teacher, Dr. Galvin, he he taught me um, how to understand poetry. There's so many teachers that that jump out at me as people who um, were influential in, in my life. The only journalism training I really got before working as a professional was my high school journalism teacher, Mr. Atwood. Um, that that's all I ever got, and he he really. Knew his stuff. <laughs> I, I can't. I could keep going, but that would take another hour on all the teachers who have meant something to me. So I'll stop now. <laughs> uh, that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, and 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 how how blessed you were to have that you could list all of those all of those teachers that that you know led to your your writing career, but also to to what I believe is a very important book and an impactful book about about teachers and you know for those you know this this podcast um is very much aimed for educators who you know are in the gig but but also i i also try to give a moment or several moments for educators who um who may be feeling lonely um who who may be that only person in 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 their schoolhouse like penny who who may be feeling um you know threatened or, or or not empowered so if you don't mind alex um maybe some words of wisdom here for the pennies out there or those teachers that that are feeling disenfranchised and 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 disconnected oh well first of all you're you're not alone um, there was a teacher who came up to me after a speech i gave a few weeks ago about uh, about teachers and she said she wanted to thank me for writing the book because 
when she read it, she realized that things that she had felt was her fault when she was a teacher for decades in Washington, D.C. schools, she realized were not her fault because other teachers experienced them too. And she saw that in the book. So she felt validated by that. Um, the things that you're going through, if you're going through something like that, um, they're not your fault. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing for you to know. Um, a lot of the educational narratives today try and pin things on teachers. And as an example, um, say teacher burnout. Teacher burnout is such a popular phrase, describes stress or exhaustion from overwork, but it's caused by, studies show, inadequate workplace support and resources, unmanageable workload, high-stakes testing, time pressures, things like that. Mm -hmm. But instead of fixing these issues like you'd think any typical workplace would do, school systems don't. And instead, they say that teachers should do a better job of self-care. I'm air quoting here, like <laughs> yeah. gesturing the, over-exaggerating the air quotes, um, as if the responsibility is on the teacher to go pay for a massage or the, you know, they tell the teacher, well, you just got to learn to relax. So the phrase teacher burnout blames teachers for not being able to deal mm -hmm. with the job that it, that's impossible to do rather than blaming the school systems that are creating these impossible situations. So instead of saying teachers have the highest burnout levels, or instead of using the phrase teacher burnout, we should be saying, no, school systems are the worst employers at giving employees what they need to do their job. So that's just, that's just a basic example of the framework that people are dealing with here. So I want you to know that what's going on is not your fault. It's not you. It's not some deficit on your part. Uh, you can get out of it. You can switch schools if you're in a toxic environment. You can talk to your union union rep to see what's available to you. You can find other situations. And I talked to many educators who were who felt stuck and lonely, uh, and lonely. And for them, the solution was to keep looking at different schools until they found one with a culture that they felt comfortable in. And it is possible. It it definitely is. And I um. I, I thank thank you for sharing that that piece. All right, when when are we going to write about the principles? When's that coming? Is that <laughs> is that going to happen? It needs to happen, please. All right, we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. I we we need we need a we need a principles uh principles book. But but uh, but again, the book is the teachers a year inside America's most vulnerable important profession, and. I am very grateful for Alexandra Robbins. You can go pick this book up at your friendly neighborhood, local independent bookstore or, or your big bucket bookstore. It is, it is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, or if you want to borrow my copy, uh, you, you are, you're going to have to wait until after uh, my wife, Deb reads it. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I, I do believe that this book is going to be um, I know it's already resonating with teachers and, and folks, within various uh, networks, Alex. And uh, I, I do see this as, as being the source of, uh, of great action for, uh, for our noble profession. And I also see this book being, um, being huddled around book clubs and summer book studies uh, over, over uh, this upcoming summer. So, um, and Alex, um, you know, the, the door is open uh, anytime. If I, if I need a sub, um, I, I can give you a call. You'll come to North Carolina. Love it. Love subbing. <laughs> yes. Um, feel free to, uh, to drop, drop me a line, uh, friends, uh, through the, uh, 
hashtag principal liner notes. Uh, this is Sean Gaylord. And again, thank you so much, Alex, for, uh, for being on uh, the podcast and, and thank you for getting our story right and being that voice of, of empathy and advocacy for, for all teachers. Uh, and thank you for doing all that you do for school staff and your educator audience. Uh, thank you. Principal Liner Notes podcast, Alexandra Robbins. Again, the book is The Teachers, A Year Inside America's Most Vulnerable, Important Profession. This is not just for teachers, my friends. This is for everyone. So so for those of you who are non-teachers or parents or or have... Um, want to do action for teachers, pick up the book, have a conversation, feel free to follow me on social media. I know um, I would love to, to engage in that conversation uh, with you. Thank you so much. There's a flip side. I always hope to catch you there and I'll be there waiting for you. Don't forget to share with the world your dreams and visions because the world needs your dreams and visions, especially from our teachers and you help make the world a better place. Thanks.